Trainer. Yo, yo, this is Justin Bieber. Hey, it's Ariana Grande. Just the interviews. A Zach Sang Show exclusive podcast. Hello, beautiful human. Thank you so much for clicking on our conversation with Ash. She is really special. Moral of the story, chapter one and chapter two available for you. They both deserve your ear. Link in the description below. Today's interview is sponsored by Total Wireless. Total Wireless, Total Confidence. There's never been a better time to make the move. Okay, let's zoom. Let's do this. Zach Sancho. How are you? How are you? I need to see I need to see you full screen. Where are you in America? Why do I think you're on the East Coast? You're not. No. Well, you might think I'm on the East Coast because I am always up at 5 a.m. I don't know why you would know that, though. You are a uh, you are a serial tweeter. I do read all your tweets very avidly. But also, you know, like, I don't know why I thought you were an East Coaster. I Well, no, East Coast living, but I know you went to Berkeley. You know what it is? The person on your team offered East Coast time zones, which never happens ever. And like in the email body, and I was like, whoa, that's a rarity. So I, I kind of assumed, which was stupid. Because, Are you on the East Coast? No, I, I was born there. I've only been here for five years now. Oh, got it. Doesn't matter. Yeah, my, my team is, um, I've told them, I, I like to do interviews and meetings and things like, like 9 a.m. to 1 got it because that's like when i'm like firing i'm gonna give it away that i and i'm not gonna actually be firing at 100 percent. but usually i'm firing well, a bit better in the mornings my question is when do you write then when is it time for creative well if i have it my way whoever i'm co-writing with will do it in the morning really yeah is, is that weird do you feel like you have to convince people to do things at 9 a.m. because, I mean, I'm no music creator, but I do hear rumblings that uh, usually it's a late, a, a late night industry. Yeah, music musicians don't love to do things early. I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely on an island. Um, but what's right, what's the nice thing is you find friends in like the UK to write with. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's the move. I just I just started writing with Niall Horan in the UK and he's, he's up so early. I mean, he's, I'm up so early and he's already like well into his day. He's eight so hours like, ahead. Yeah. So it's part, it's literally perfect. So now you have an exclusive rule. It's Europeans only when it comes to creative collaborators due to time zone restrictions. Well, I'm so bougie. I only work with Europeans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you like doing sessions? I mean, okay. You obviously had songs that were given other people that became hits, but we have two chapters of a larger story here that is pretty freaking incredible and really unique, like truly, truly unique and different sounding, in my opinion. Is it... Thank you. Is it refreshing? Is it uncomfortable? Is it weird? Just describe the transition going from being so in up to your eyeballs in your own art and then having to like put yourself into somebody else's shoes and write with somebody. Ooh. Um, I would say I'm definitely better at using my own voice for my own like art and purposes now. I think I used to I I think I used to think I was better at the opposite, but um I don't know. It's easy it's a lot easier to speak for yourself, I think. Maybe that's sort of a human thing, but um unless 
the writer I'm or the, the artist I'm writing for has a similar voice or a similar experience or, you know, it, it makes it a, a little different, but um, it's definitely more cozy. I'm in a cozier position writing for myself, I think. So what are you finding with Niall? Like, is he the first artist you're working with on a project that's not for you or maybe that, that are you writing for him or are you writing to do collaboration with him? I don't know what I can tell you. No, it's for it's for him. Yeah. I don't know. Like you're putting on somebody else's shoes for the first time in a while. Yeah, I think for for that situation, you know, he he specifically is like, I want to make '70s rock Laurel Canyon vibe music, and I'm like, <laughs> what you do? I'm like, you well, you called the right hit maker. Let me tell you. Um, so it's, yeah, that's definitely, it just depends on who you're working with, but, um, I don't typically write with other people for other people. Usually it's for me, but I am open to it. Well, when, when it's something like that, right? When it's something that is different and unique and clearly stands out. Yeah. Like how, how often is it that somebody knocks on your door requesting that <laughs> or, or anyone's door? Yeah, I feel like usually people are like, well, here's the box and I'd like for you to work within this sort of like small thing. And sometimes it makes it easier. Sometimes you're like, oh, okay, I'll just focus on that little, you know, yeah, you know whatever the within those parameters. Yeah, but I think that, you know, if, a, if an artist calls me and wants to write, you know, something weird, let's go. Let's, <laughs> I mean, let's make it, let's make it catchy and let's make it relatable. So people feel connected to the music because what's the point if people don't feel connected? Like being weird for the sake of being weird is stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, if someone calls me and wants to make some, some left of center pop, I'm in. It, by the way, would you describe moral of the story chapter one and chapter two as that left of center pop? I don't know. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I would say, yeah. Well, it's funny because like we started doing well, like on, on all alternative radio first. And I was like, Whoa, this is sort of weird. Why? <laughs> you know? um, and then it, once it sort of, we started crossing over to pop, it felt like it made more sense. Like it lived in that space a little bit better, but I don't know. It's sort of up to everyone else to decide where your music falls than it is really up to you at the end of the day. But, but like, I'm like this big proponent. I believe that the future format in our world is pop alternative where you just kind of play whatever's popular and there's no mm -hmm. like one sound to what pop is because like pop is popular. It should be a collection of everything across all the genres, right? Like it should mm. be a smorgasbord of what's freaking awesome out there. Um, yeah. When you're th th this two part EP, right? That's the right way to describe it. Or would you say a double album? I mean, what, how did you define yeah. that? I think two part EP. Yeah. Were they written together at the same time? Um, not entirely. There were like, there were songs that were on chapter two that were written with chapter one, but sort of there were some gaps in the story that needed to be filled. So some were written post, but yeah. Because one is, uh, chapter one is released April, chapter two is August. But wow. in between those two, you have a, like moral of the story starts really 
bubbling? Yeah, honestly, I don't even know. Both, I feel like both EPs were out. And then like a year later, people, we got this sync in this movie to all the boys I loved. And then TikTok started doing its TikTok thing that I really don't fully understand. But um, just suddenly my whole life was changing. And so it was kind of post both EPs being out, really. Who is honking? You... Wait, who is it? Tell them we say hi. Just so loud, West Hollywood. Oh, they're honking. Oh, my God. Yes, it is. Oh, I'm in West Hollywood, too. We're just literally on Zoom, just a mile away from each other. <laughs> I mean, literally connected within a stretch of a mile. Uh, awesome. <laughs> it's crazy outside. Um, Weird. Really terrifying. Uh, back yeah. to moral of the story. <laughs> <laughs> because I guess it is wild. Um, did that surprise you? Like, was that the song after all? all was finished that you were like you know what a piece of me is telling me that this is going to be something mm. yeah i mean i always felt differently about moral of the story i always felt like it had um it had something to say differently than the rest of my music and it was probably the most vulnerable i had ever been in a song before um i mean yeah it just kind of like puts my life and my failed marriage on blast and you're like okay guys um but, but you're honest uh, yeah, with everything though dude you are you are like you're I, i'm really a huge fan i mean the two chapters are really distinct and unique but also like really open and honest but simple to understand i mean like i really uh, yeah very understood truthfully thanks thanks zach it, and like listening top to bottom in order, right? I listened to the whole thing, both of them, directly in order. It does sound like there is, I don't know, and, and maybe this is the way you intended it to play. From where I'm sitting, it, it like it almost plays like an actual story in real time. Like there's realization moments before you even get to moral of the story. But then I feel like yeah. you circle back in chapter two. Um, so l let's dive in a little bit here. Uh, All right. Because moral of the yeah, story. Yeah, there's definitely an arc, you yeah. know that it kind of does it, it, yeah am i kind of reading that correctly is there and, and do you write the songs out of order originally and then place them or did you find yourself kind of like living and writing as it was happening well i think that i think that there we like to think that like grieving something like those are the five stages of grief and you're like okay once you're done with anger you move on to this one and so i think i wrote the songs in order of how I was feeling along the way, but I think I bounced around from like pissed off to total acceptance of moral of the story and then back to denial. Um, and so, yeah, there is some bouncing around, but I tried in chapter two to sort of be like, tie it with a bow for it, you know, in disguise, you know, focusing more on my own self-identity than the heartbreak but yeah what do you mean by find out who you, your friends are in disguise that was really just like feeling a little bit like a lot of people don't have your best interests at heart and you kind of have to be your you have to be your own best self-advocate because no one's gonna advocate for you at the end of the day we have to sort of stand 
for ourselves, it feels like. And um, it's mostly about being who you are without letting everyone else's opinions come in and be like, this is what I think you should look like and act and, and this is how you should feel. Um, yeah, I think that's about right. Yo, beautiful human. Real quick, I, I want to tell you that I am a Macari guy. I buy stuff. I sell stuff on it. It's pretty great. And it's really efficient. No hassle. No meetup. Macari is the right way to sell the stuff that's lying around your house. I sold an Xbox on it and it was so easy. I snapped a photo, posted it. Somebody was like, yeah, I want it. And I was like, cool. Then I printed out a shipping label, slapped it on the box, gave it to the mailman. And then I got paid. It was really that easy. It was a great experience. And, and before I was like nervous to sell things on like the other sites. But Macari made it so clear and it made me comfortable. I, I, I liked it. Plus, you know, no meetups with strangers, which is a huge plus. If you want to get rid of stuff in your house and make an extra buck or two, use Macari. I'm not the only one who likes it. There's like 600,000 reviews in the app store and the average rating is 4.8 stars. They know what they're doing. They know how to sell your stuff appropriately plus you can buy great stuff there too so yeah makari what are you waiting for clear out your house or find a great deal on something you need sell or buy literally almost anything on makari you can find makari on the app store or just go to makari.com m-e-r-c-a-r-i makari the selling app Zach Sancho. finding out like obviously going through life and a marriage and this industry, it is hard to find out who your actual friends are, right? And who you can actually trust around you and who you can count on. Yeah, it's a tough industry, I'll tell you that much. But, but I feel like yeah. you've, got, you, you've been able to navigate this whole thing by being an advocate for yourself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, went I from learn, so. you went from a tiny <laughs> Catholic school, right? Not learning about evolution to going to Berkeley and kind of navigating from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, yeah, it was pretty, it was definitely drinking the Kool-Aid from like age seven to senior year of high school. When do you realize that like that Kool-Aid was poison? Oh man, definitely not till college. When I, I had to get sort of 3,000 miles, like, as far away as possible from home, um, went to Berkeley um, just for, for music school and I suddenly I had all these friends of different races and, um, you know, nationalities and people from Singapore and my, in my friend group. And suddenly I'm like, Whoa, there's just a lot more ways to see an issue. There's a lot more ways to, um, contextualize being a human being. And suddenly I was like, what my mind just exploded. So college was, God love Berkeley. And actually for, you know, the music education I got, but Berkeley was way more about my like mind being yeah. open than it was about music, I think. By the way, like that should be a great college experience. It's it's the social aspect, it's the life aspect, it's the reality aspect, it's like it's the solo yeah. thing. But did you get into to, to wanting to make music through Christian radio? <laughs> no. Because you said you listened no. to a lot. Yeah, well, that's what my mom had on the radio. And, you know, some of it's not bad. I'll give it, I'll give it some credit. Not all of it is bad. But um, especially nowadays, I'll like be switching through the channels and I'll be like, oh, 
That's a Christian song? <laughs> yeah, you catch Jesus FM or the Fish FM or something. Yeah, weird. I was like, this does not suck. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it didn't, it definitely didn't inspire me. I sang at my church and, um, I was really good on harmonies and things like that and taught me, taught me a lot about, um, harmonies, but, um, yeah, I kind of abandoned all of it and I dug into jazz, um, in college and that was really my, that was my focus, I think. But how does like the Beach Boys and Bob Dylan like creep into your 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 life if all your mom was playing around the house was like Christian stuff? I think my there was brief moments of sort of clarity from my grandpa. Like he'd take me on road trips and he'd play me he'd play me Dylan and Tom Petty and um he also played a lot of Motown records. Um yeah. that which is how I fell in love with you know, Carol King, um, mm. she was writing a lot of those records and, um, yeah, he definitely is the reason why I have, I've, I began my musical journey and having some good taste, but then, yeah, I think college was very jazz focused. And then I started digging back into it post, post college, um, in Carol King and the beach boys and all that. Were your parents, supportive of you going to a music school i yeah for the most part you know it's not the like super interesting story but it's very um honest in that they they wanted me to to do what i loved i think they were like how is she gonna make a career out of music like good luck <laughs> and i had i had some family members be like what are you gonna do with a music degree dude and <laughs> Honestly, I didn't know. I still don't know. I mean, I didn't need a music degree to be doing what I'm doing technically. Um, but I was like, you all wanted me to go to college, so. <laughs> what you probably needed out of it was the social aspect of it that opened your mind and changed your life, right? Like yeah. you can't have one without the other because college ultimately makes you the person that you are or like experiences, collections of experiences, you know, out in the real world, totally. out of a bubble. Um, yeah, I definitely needed that open to open my mind and all of that. I mean, it, it probably could have come at a cheaper price, but yeah. <laughs> oh, it definitely could have been cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, I, there's like the Berkeley curse of like, if you graduate, then you don't make it. I've heard, and I've heard that so many times. Is it true? Well, you graduated. I graduated so no. and I'm, I'm on air with Zach saying so. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think that for me, it was like, if I would have figured out exactly what I wanted to do pre-graduation, I would have dropped out. If I figured out I wanted to be an artist, got a record deal like John Mayer and his second semester there, sure, I would have totally left. But I didn't know anything about what I wanted to do. I, I was still... I thought I wasn't good enough to be an artist and was just going to be a songwriter when I graduated. So I think I just needed to keep going and finish. There wouldn't have been any point to drop out, you know? So that was your intention going in was just that you wanted to write songs or did you always have a secret desire? My, when I went to Berkeley, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be the best musician I could possibly be. So I, so many vocal majors there end up being like vocal performance majors or songwriters. And I was like, I feel like 
I can sing and I can write a song. What I can't do is compose music for an orchestra or big band or produce myself. So I ended up majoring in, um, it's called contemporary writing and production at Berkeley. And it's like, my senior project was composing um, a piece for an entire orchestra and then conducting them myself. And so I, I didn't really even, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do or be when I was at school. I just, I knew what I wanted to get out of Berkeley at the end of the day, which was, I wanted to be really musically educated, I think. And yeah, when they hit you with different challenges and you have to rise, you learn a ton. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't think I could do it to this day. I don't think I could compose again for an orchestra. That was a pretty tall order. But it's definitely affecting my music now. Cold in California. Let's get back to the the music because I know we're run, we're slowly running out of time. I'm so not used to this Zoom thing. Like, uh, you know, I'm I really. Know. I mean, I'm. I, I wanted. I wish you could have been in the studio. You know, we have, we have candles. Me Nice. Uh, when when we open up and this is done, please come and hang. Yeah, how, please. How long into being in California did you realize it was cold? <laughs> <laughs> Um, cold in California is a lot more about me than it is about California itself. I've just, I'm born and raised California. I am in many ways embody California. But you came back different. And now you have life. I came back very, very different. I think I, I always felt like people, I'm a pretty bubbly, like glass half full kind of a human. And sometimes people, when they see me put me in sort of a box and go like you don't get to be sad you don't get to be angry you don't get to have any of the other side of emotions and so it was saying it gets cold in california was a lot more about being like hi i'm a human being and i i get pissed and my heart gets broken and i've been through anxiety myself and yeah it was much more about that than california itself who was casting these energies on you was it the person you were married to well yeah (laughs) I mean definitely him I'm you know I think that some of it's probably my own perception I think we we put that on ourselves of like what we think people expect from us and I just grew up feeling like I had to be the good kid and there was no room there was no space in the room for me to be the one who rocked the boat. And so I think I just learned um, throughout my life that I I had to be the good kid with the smile on her face. And so I had to sort of unlearn that over my life that it's okay to get angry. It's okay to feel depressed. It's okay to get, you know, it's okay not to be okay. And that was a really weird thing for me to to figure out did you figure that out before you got into the marriage or was the marriage and unraveling a part of the ways you experience all this stuff Mm, i'll say well into the marriage and post like going through my divorce was really i i was unlearning a lot of the things it's like when you when you blow up one area of your life it ends up affecting all different areas of your life as well. By the way, like just like any form of war, whether it be physical warfare or warfare with yourself, you know, like it's, yeah. everything is a domino. Yeah. And it, when you have a clean slate, it felt like I, you know, when you 
<laughs> why there's a stereotype when a girl breaks up with a guy, she cuts her hair and gets bangs, you know? It's like, there's this urge to wipe the slate entirely clean and be, there's an opportunity to be someone yeah. new. Yeah. And so I think I definitely, I was absolutely going through that process in my head. So let's yeah. kind of relate that back to your, the releases of music, right? Can you hear mm-hmm. different versions of you? Like how long ago were you married? Like how long, like what's the timeline? Mm. I got married in 2016 and, it, and I was divorced by 2018. And do you release an album 2018 or something? Or maybe it was I did. Before. I did. I released an EP um, called the rabbit hole, like a month after I filed for divorce. Was, so when you write that, are you in the trenches of happiness or are you in the trenches of sadness? I was in the trenches of just a terrible marriage. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. And there's there's a reason why when you listen to the rabbit hole, it is not about relationships. It is not about love or it's a it's a it's very you didn't have that. No, it's a very musical record. I love that. There's tons of really like psychedelic instrumental elements and um, one of the songs is like used in a Taco Bell commercial. That's like super psychedelic and weird and like people are eating burritos and there's like three of the same person is oh, an, an honor to talk to you and yeah. <laughs> even more of an honor now that you that you've been a part of my i mean these are fun <laughs> i mean i i i bleed fire songs <laughs> if you need free tacos you just call me oh my god oh my god yeah are you, are you a feed the beat artist yeah, I was. Oh, another honor. Yeah, you and Finn. Yeah, they have such an amazing roster of past Feed the Beat artists. Yeah, they pick some cool people for sure. Yeah. What an honor. Anyway, back but, to you. Yeah, Ra- sorry. Rabbit hole. So, <laughs> yeah. Taco Bell, hello. Um, but hello, Taco Bell. That's so, so re- really, chapter one and chapter two of Moral of the Story is grieving because at that point, this is a dead thing. Like this yeah. is in the ground. Yeah, I didn't start writing any of the records on those chapter one and chapter two of Moral of the Story. I didn't start writing those records till I had filed for divorce. I had moved out of the house we bought together and we were in the middle of selling it. And um, I was moving in with a roommate and my whole life was completely different. Um, So... Yeah, it's definitely just me processing all of it. And um, it's a very real record. Every song is just is a piece of me. So, Dude, yeah. I mean, not how it's supposed to go. So raw and honest. <laughs> because clearly it is reflective of what you thought this was going to be and what it turned out to be. Yeah, that one was, that one's probably the most savage of the Dude, entire... Pretty Faces is pretty good too. <laughs> That's pretty savage too. <laughs> but that one's like so chill and like calm. It sounds calming, so it feels less aggressive, but like not how it's supposed to go. It's like, oh no, I know. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> like immature. I, I mean, question on that record, and I know you really do gotta go. Um, but I hope this when this oh, is over, we really d- dive in. Uh when I was listening to Mature and I'm hearing the lyrics. Do you grow up at all? Do you find yourself a different person after writing a record like that? Oh, yeah. Well, I think in Immature immature was definitely how my ex made me feel. 
Um, that song's way less about. I had gotten to the point where there's been a lot of mental health issues in my in my family and my close immediate family, and I, you know, my ex was getting to the point where he would be like, maybe you are mentally ill as well in X Y Z way, like so and so in your family, and I at some point if someone tells you that you are mentally ill you will believe over and over and over you really do start feeling crazy and so um immature was much more he'd get on me about like not showing up to a session if I showed up to a session five minutes late he'd find out somehow and would be like you have to step up and you have to do better and I'd be like I don't know it just it was um not good immature is yeah weird <laughs> i mean are you glad that this marriage and this relationship took place mm-hmm. yes yes and no i i don't know that anyone has ever asked me that question zach <laughs> so like i feel shocked um sorry no no it's such a that's really good i think that yes i'm glad on my mature days when I am actually feeling mature about it. Um, absolutely, I'm glad because I I genuinely like me and I wouldn't be me, you know, and who I am in this moment if I didn't go through it on my not so mature days when I'm feeling pissed off about things. I, yeah, I'd be like, no, I would totally take it back if I had the chance. Really? Yeah, just pick a mood, pick my mood. <laughs> you realize in a like a record that you like love and loss and you learn from these moments. You must have learned a lot. Yeah. I mean, writing is like therapy, you know, and thank God people want to listen to it too. Cause then instead of paying someone for therapy, I can pay my rent off making (laughs) therapy. (laughs) Pretty cool. Uh, I, I hope this man, whoever he may be, has listened to this. Oh, I have no idea. Do you care at all? Mm, no, you know, I, I wish him nothing but the best now. Um, I, I can look at it much more objectively now that I've been out of it for um, two, it's been two years almost now. Um, so I think, I think, you know, for the most part, I don't really care. I think that if you are, if you feel really passionate about having an ex hear your song, you probably still have feelings in some way for them. And I am just, I've got nothing left for him. So I don't, I don't really care what he thinks. (laughs) Makes any part of you feel any better. He's probably heard the song just living his life because it's everywhere. And uh, yeah, sucks for him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> just don't, don't apologize <laughs> when you listen back do you listen to any of these songs yourself now that it's all out there um once in a while um i'm working on my n- new album right now and so i'm definitely pulling pieces of of chapter one and two Explain into that. the new album um well just in, continuing the story um and, and taking, you know, one thread 
the moral of the story thread like must be begs to be continued into the new album and so and i think i'd be doing a disservice to myself and my fans if i if i was just like scrap scrap the moral of the story sound the songwriting all of it what has made me relevant in the music industry scrap it move on and write something new so that's probably one more what i mean is it sonic elements in absolutely to lyrical stuff because like obviously moral of the story is you so as long as you keep writing you and about you well you have to keep living i guess to have something to yeah. write about i'm currently living yeah. and and experiencing <laughs> um yeah sonically it's moral of the story has a really um there's a lot of like chromatic elements in it and I mean, it's really musical and so the album is gonna be extremely musical um, but like taking it's like moral of the story times 10. Wow. So you're talking about the, when I say moral of the story, I mean chapter one and chapter two combined, not the song. That's yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. By the way, I hear Bob Dylan in your work. I really do. I, I hear like a, a, like a nice Bob Dylan, Beach Boys, like just a, a nice little baby, like, but like with a different perspective <laughs> and a different sound. Yeah, it's a groove. It really is great. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Oh, dude. Wow. Trigger, trigger artist for me. Thank you. And I loved, I loved your uh, Beach Boys special that you put together with Finn and Max and AJR. It was spectacular. Very cool. Uh, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, the album is a big, it's kind of one big ode to Pet Sounds. So um, I wanted to do something for that day. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I, and by the way, Pet Sounds, game-changing cha- game body of work top to bottom, correct? Oh, I mean, what music would not be what it is today without it. Do you get excited when artists come to you like Niall and say, I want to actually have live instruments in what we do? Because I feel like live instruments, they're taken for granted. Yeah, I think they're making a slow comeback. I think yes. that the bedroom pop era is its own thing. And I don't think there's a lot of acoustic elements that live in, in there. Um, and then there was like the big bubble gum pop era where everything was sort of electronic. Um, but I think we're going to come back. Music does this, you know, and we'll go into like, I'll have an opportunity to be super weird and do my Laurel Canyon songwriter thing. And then I'll become unpopular because we'll be back in electronic music. You know, it's, yeah. It, it, it just the way music is and um but i got totally sidetracked i don't know what we're talking about are you about. have you watched the documentary laurel canyon yes yeah it's phenomenal yeah it's, it's so good do you, are you there right now no you're not in laurel canyon but like i feel like there is like an air there's like an energy within that uh you know the whole the whole it's like a ju- middle of the canyon essentially yeah i uh that's the that's the move the next move we're looking for a a place in Laurel Canyon. Um, it just feels like I need, when someone's like, where are you living? I should say Laurel Canyon. Yeah. Based on who I am and the music I write, those are the words that should come out of my mouth. So I'm going to move there soon enough. <laughs> Please listen to Moral of the Story Part 1 and Part 2. It is worth your ear. We're going to put a link in the description below. Um, the album, how many songs do you have done? And I, I mean, obviously, like this was released August 2019 was the moral of the story story chapter two so 
you've had a lot of time to write, I'm assuming. Yeah, I had my first headline tour last fall. And so that that time I wasn't really writing. But then like from January, no, like I would say from December to now, I've been working on the album and slowly we've sort of been writing and then beating what we're writing. And Mm -hmm. so it's been a lot of like swapping out. I'd say we have maybe seven records that will absolutely be on the album. And there's maybe 15 total that are contenders. Um, I'm not, I don't know that I'm, I'm so in love with writing right now. I don't know that I'm done yet, but. What is it about now that makes it a good time for you to write? Um, well, because for the first time in, in my career, I feel very, um, I'm so encouraged by what has happened with Moral of the Story that it's like, oh, I could write exactly what I needed to write. And that's what people needed to hear. Um, and that's like w- when what you need to say is what people need to hear. It's so liberating validating. that. Yeah. And validating. I mean, I definitely trust myself. You know, you wish that other public perception didn't affect you but it totally does and you know when your song starts you know streaming two million times in one day on spotify that was like when that day happened i cried i was like this is so insane so when that starts happening you definitely trust yourself as a writer a bit a bit more yeah you realize that people connect to what you have to say you just being you gives People want that. Yeah. It's cool. Please listen to uh, chapter one and chapter two. Um, I had another question and I just blanked out on it and I'm really disappointed about it. Um, Yeah, it happens. I'm really not like a fan of this at home thing. I'm done. You know, I I gotta, I gotta figure. I know. Are you an extrovert? Do you like prefer to be in person with people? Yes. I like, I really I thrive off of somebody's energy and like looking into their eyes and like, and this is not, I don't even know how you can see, like, I know you can see me, but I know that it can't be flattering and I can't probably sound the best and I can't feel your energy or your vibe. I mean, I can, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. It's not the same. No. Yeah. I, as soon as this thing lifts or, you know, people figure out ways to do it the most safe way you know then i let's do it in person if we're six feet apart and have a mask on we can do it dan's been saying it dan says that joe joe rogan is getting people tested outside of his studio why can't we be getting people tested Um, that's so genius i agree i agree maybe that this is something we need to explore joe Um, rogan yeah he's he's clearly a a man of vision a man (laughs) of vision and a lot of deer meat uh (laughs) yeah by the way i'm a huge really i can't thank you one enough for performing at our prom the other day too thank you so much Mm. it means a lot thank you oh and congrats it was a total success the whole thing it was you made it a success finn made it a success i mean everybody but me made it amazing and uh (laughs) really i and you raised a, a ton of money yeah yeah we did i think we yeah we did i can't thank you enough i mean really you did it the kids were really happy. Both the, there was like a 
hundreds of thousands of kids across the world really went to prom when we looked at all the stats. But there's also thousands of kids at St. Jude that you're able to give a really special night to. So for that, mm -hmm. I thank you. On behalf of both oh. of them, thank you. Um, hey. Yeah, it was really, and your performance is amazing. Yeah, you were so good. Yeah, yeah really, music's <laughs> lucky to have you. I'm very excited to watch your story continue. Truthfully, Ooh. you're very different and unique, and you, you stand out, and yeah. And, and don't, Thank let, you. don't let formats or genres hold you back because we'll just catch up eventually, truthfully. I really think yeah. that like maybe I'm nuts and people do need boxes just for everything in life and they, you know, things can't exist because it's hard for somebody to rationalize something that doesn't have a category to fit in. But um, yeah. I really think genres are so 2000 and late. I mean, I really, I... I hope that you are 100% right. And I, I obviously lean with you. I'm just going to keep doing my thing and hope okay. it continues to work. But that, like, <laughs> you, have, you have to, that's an amazing realization to come to where, like, you know, no matter what people throw at you in terms of formulas to fit into, that validation that you got from people connecting to moral of the story and understanding your, your, your music and feeling understood by it that's confidence that you can then, you know, you don't need to fit in a mold. Like you don't even need to care about the mold. You've built your own mold. Yeah. That's the coolest part. I don't feel like anyone else could sing moral of the story like any other artist. And that's sort of been the goal with the entire album is if I could, if we write a song that I think Selena Gomez could sing or Maggie Rogers or any beautiful other artist, if they could sing it, then it gets cut from the album because it's not you. Every, every song needs to be so um, intrinsically and obnoxiously me, you know? My last question is, has there been a, your most influential session that you've ever had that sticks with you today, that you still mm. use, I think you've learned from that session, that you actively apply to how you make music? Whoa. <laughs> I mean, shoot, fire, that's a... There's, I mean, I don't think I could pick one just because it's, I mean, I've been in well over 300 sessions, writing sessions in my life. So all of them have sort of slowly shaped me, but. Yeah. Mm, because you are a collection. You learn from everybody you're in the room with. Yeah. I mean, when I, so one of the songs on um, my first EP, The Rabbit Hole, I wrote a record with Phineas um, called Wrong Side of Myself. Um, and that was pretty educating. It was the first day I met him. Um, and we've been super close since that day. So it's like, um, it was like, it, it definitely was a songwriting session that changed, actively changed my life. Um, but yeah, learning from him, he could care less about what other people want him to say. Um, and I think he was my first like, one-on-one uh, -on -one experience watching someone be like, listen, Stop giving a fuck what anyone else thinks of you and what you should, sorry, and what you should write. Um, and just, yeah, just do your own thing. So he's, that was probably one of the most influential ones. Yeah. Opens your eyes, you know, that's it. Yeah. yeah. But by the yeah. way, he is a prolific individual, but also as prolific and talented as he, as he is, he is also equally kind and uh, compassionate and he's a great person. Oh, 
He's one of my favorite human beings. Yep. That's a I couldn't agree more. Th- that's a yeah, that's a cool session. When do you when do you give him more of the story to, to tap into to to to, to produce? Because he did was he in this the room from the very beginning or did you give it to him at a certain stage? He came in, I'll say like two two or three weeks after we wrote the initial demo. Um I met up for coffee with him and by the end was like, do you want to hear some new records? So we went to my car and I started playing him a couple and I played him more of the story. And immediately he just got like, so it's like, you could tell like inspiration hit and he was like, you could do this and then change this thing here. And oh, it would, we could elevate it so much by doing this. And I was like, whoa, you just need to be the executive producer. There's no option. There's no other option than for that to happen. And it made sense, too, that he would be a part of it because he was like one of the first people I called when I filed for divorce. So for him to be the executive producer on a largely divorce album, it just made, it made sense in so many ways. This divorce, this marriage. Why did you get married in the first place? Was it religious? Oh, Zach, I don't know. I was young. Why do people get married? I mean, I, for so many reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't be further from marriage. I, I, Just I, a false sense of security sometimes, or sometimes it's absolutely the right thing. You were I young. Mean. Was there outside forces saying get married? No, there were outside forces being like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> Definitely. Um... No, I mean, I am very stubborn. If I make up my mind about something, then I just kind of follow through. And even if it's the death of me, um, and I dig my feet in the sand and he proposed six months into dating. And I mean, you know, why would you say no? You're like, you're in, you're in the honeymoon phase. Yeah. You're You're so, I totally get it. You're blinded by what could be. Yeah, no one should propose. Well, I don't want to tell other people. Do your life, do you. In my experience, I will never, ever, and I highly not, I recommend not getting engaged in the honeymoon phase. Give it like two years at least because then you're, you have a real raw relationship. We were still just like, oh, you're so pretty and I love you. And of course I was going to say yes. I was 21. And I was in the honeymoon phase. It was just a no-brainer that I was going to make the wrong choice. I mean, at that point, like, you haven't even, like, taken it in front of each other yet or, like, farted or, like, no. like, like then anything of, like, human lo- – like, marriage is forever. Marriage is, like, at all time. You know, like, marriage is in, in every moment, no matter how pretty or ugly it may be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think in my head I was like, I'm not taking this lightly. <laughs> You wouldn't be the artist and the human being you are today without it. And we wouldn't be talking without it. So that is how you know you made the right, right decision, ultimately. <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely changed my life. Without it, moral of the story would not exist. So. And the next time you love or choose to love, it's going to be the right one. The next time somebody gets down on one knee, you'll know. Oh, you know I'll be taking that very seriously. You know, polygraph, <laughs> background check, 17 years into dating. Prenup. <laughs> Come on now. Hey, I can't thank you enough for the time and energy you gave us today. I really, and, and for the prom, like I am forever grateful. Um, 
yeah, you're amazing. So thank you, thank you. I think you're amazing. Thank you so much. Wow, love. Do you have a date? An ideal target date for an album? No, I, there's, okay, so keep your eyes out because something's coming very soon that I can't say anything about, but um, when it does, everything's going to get pushed back. So (laughs) just inevitably, anything in the music industry, whatever you plan, push it back freaking however many months. So um, I don't know. I, I would love to put out the album before the end of the year, but it, it could very well get, I don't know. It's okay. Well, I, and, and here's my prediction. I think you're going to ride moral of the story as high as it can go. Then you're going to come up with a follow-up, maybe a collaboration with somebody. And then by the time that peaks, you'll have an album to come after. Um, it's a little bit of, I definitely, I definitely have some ammunition. I am not concerned about what's coming next i'm ready to go (laughs) yeehaw (laughs) this is this is me lassoing also very excited for those nile horn records keep those sessions going that's a very cool partnership and he's a special person too oh he's yeah newly one of my favorite people yeah i will i promise you rock as long as he keeps having me it's really his choice (laughs) nile cut there's something here love Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Dan. Chris Brown, you're the best. See you guys. Bye, Ash. See you guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Zach Sang Show Podcast Network.